morning. It was great. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. I won't push my luck. Uh, it's good to see everyone here today. Uh, it really is. And uh, so uh, we're just going to jump in here. Um, Johnny got us started last week on a series called Come Together. He talked about the church in Acts 4 being made up of believers who were in, uh, or one, one in heart and mind. Um, he, we looked at the church being a group of people called out from the world to God. And we also considered that a big purpose of the church is to tell the story of Jesus. To put the brilliance of Jesus on display is how he put it. So with this in mind, I'm going to talk today about unity and the things that can cause us issues in striving uh, toward the kind of unity that God intends for the church. So we're going to watch just a quick video. Actually, this is the sermon and I'm not going to talk. Just kidding. Our brain is hardwired to trust what's familiar and be suspicious of what's unfamiliar. It's a basic survival instinct that's helped keep us safe for thousands of years. We unconsciously sort things into familiar versus unfamiliar. Same versus different. Them versus us. Here's a test. How do you feel about people who own a handgun? Don't attend church. Vote for the other candidate. Are on welfare. Don't eat meat. Have tattoos. Don't believe in marriage. Drive an electric car. Didn't go to college. Don't speak English. Curse. Are over six. Are disabled. Drive the speedway. Love cats. Love dogs. Can you feel your brain sorting people into groups? Was there a little them versus us happening? It can happen unconsciously. All right. So what are your thoughts? Did anything jump out at you during that video? Cats and dogs, yeah. I figured that would be polarizing, but um, uh, no, I'm just kidding. So. I'm not, uh, I'm not here to make any statements about the list of characteristics at the end of the video, but I, I thought it was important for us to at least think about bias for a moment. What, what do we think about people who like dogs? What do we think about people who like cats? What do we think about people who drive slowly? <laughs> or in the wrong lane? Uh, that one hits close to home. I'll talk about that later, but... Um, what do we think about people who uh, go to a different denomination of church? Or how about people who have disabilities? Or people with different colored skin than ours? People who are a little rough around the edges or, or people who are too prim and proper? Uh, take a look at this picture. So what do you see when you look at this picture? Go ahead and call it out. An old woman? Anyone else? A younger, a younger lady, yeah. So depending on how you look at the picture and what you focus on, you see a different picture, don't you? Let's look at the next one. What do you see here? Little boy. This one's pretty straightforward. Does anybody see an older man in that? How about now? Let's look at the next one. It's a different perspective. When we turn it upside down, you see something completely different there, don't you? Um, this last one's just silly, but take a look at this one. 
What do you see? Batman and what? Penguin. Right, right. I came across that and I thought I'd throw it in just for you DC Comics fans, but plus the, uh, there's a new movie because, you know, we need another Batman movie. But um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually went and saw it. It was great. So, <laughs> uh, so you may have seen some of these before. The, they're pictures that are often used to illustrate bias and perception. How many times in our lives do we act out of certain biases without even realizing it? How many times in a day do we act out of certain biases without recognizing it? So we all bring certain biases to our interactions with others. This isn't inherently good or bad, but important to be aware of because they can cause huge problems in how we interact with other people. Biases can create walls that divide us from others, walls that keep us distant from people with whom we are called to be unified. We come together in unity by surrendering biases. Another issue that plagues us, especially in our context in the United States, is contempt. In John Tyson's book, Beautiful Resistance, uh, he talks a little bit about this. In the chapter called Honor Must Resist Contempt, he quotes Sebastian Junger as saying, people speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign-born, the president, or the entire government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority of the, of the speaker. Contempt is often directed at people who have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy of its benefits. Contempt is often used by governments to provide rhetorical cover for torture or abuse. People who speak with contempt for one another will probably not remain united for long. Tyson goes on to talk about how this toxicity has seeped into the church. From the time of the Pharisees and the people of Israel to the present day challenges of letting things like political ideologies drive wedges between us. We run the risk of seeing others, other believers, as those people or other than instead of sisters and brothers in Christ. Just look at social media or watch any news outlet you like and you'll find people who are operating out of bias and lashing out in contempt. Wear a mask. Masks are pointless. I'm right, you're wrong. Get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. I can't stand those type of people. I'm intolerant of everyone except those who are intolerant. I like that one. Vote for this candidate. No, vote for this candidate. It seems much more prevalent than ever before, which may just be a function of the internet and the fact that people have a much bigger platform to be heard from than they have in the past, for better or worse, right? But the toxicity is clear. If we could just step back for a moment and see it. So biases can lead to contempt. Contempt can create walls that divide us from others. Walls that keep us distant from people with whom we are called to be unified. 
We come together in unity by surrendering biases and contempt. So today we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about unity. In the early church, Jews were... Excuse me. In the early church, Jews were obviously on the ground floor as Jesus was Jewish and came to the Jews. However, during his ministry, we see a few examples of foreshadowing how the gospel would be expanded to include people other than just the Jews. In Matthew 8, Jesus healed a Roman officer's servant. In Matthew 15, he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman. In fact, there was even foreshadowing in the Old Testament of this. Some of Isaiah's prophecies um, talk about the work of God going out from Jerusalem, the holy city of Israel. Genesis 12 um, mentions that God actually tells Abraham to leave his land because God was planning to bless all of the families of the earth through Abraham. Not just some, but it says all of the families of the earth. But if you've read much of the Bible or know anything about history, you know that the Jews were oppressed and scattered, uh, particularly by the Greco-Roman empires. So it's understandable why some Jews took a minute to warm up to the idea that the people of their oppressors would be included in the kingdom of God. So I don't want to camp out here for too long today, but, but I'd like to take a quick scan of some scripture to see how this was an issue in the early church. We're going to start with Acts chapter 6. Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what's happening here? This is still the early days of the church. The end of Acts 2 gives us a beautiful picture of community that they had. They had everything in common. Uh, they sold their property and possessions in order to care for other members of the community. They gathered together to pray and to share uh, meals. However, by chapter 6, there's clearly some issues. Certain people are not being cared for. It appears that Jewish Christians who were in charge of distributing food were favoring Jewish widows and overlooking the Gentile Christian widows. Now, we don't know for sure if this was intentional racism or just oversight because the church was growing so rapidly. What we do see here, though, is that there was division because the next few verses talk about how this was addressed so that it was no longer going to be an issue. Let's look at another passage. Uh, Skip over to Acts 10. The beginning of chapter 10 tells of a God-fearing Roman officer, a Jewish convert, being told by God to invite Peter to his home. So he sends men to talk to Peter. In the meantime, Peter has a vision where he sees animals of all sorts coming down on a sheet and a voice of God saying, eat. Peter tells God that some of the animals were not to be eaten by Jews, just as he had been taught all his life that they were unclean. God responds to Peter by saying, I made all of them, don't call anything unclean. As Peter is thinking this over, the centurion's uh, men knock on the door and ask Peter to come to their home. So he goes. So take a look at verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without any objection. Jewish law had taught that Jews were not to associate or visit with Gentiles. And so, without the prompting of God, Peter may never have gone to talk to the centurion. In fact, Galatians 2 gives an account where Peter, who had been eating with the Gentiles without hesitation, suddenly ignores them when his Jewish friends come along because he's afraid of their judgment. So even Peter, having this vision from God... In Acts 10, he continued to struggle with bias and the Gentiles after this. Even so, or enough so that Paul had to call him out later on in Galatians 2. So you might be wondering if the church ever got it right. Were they ever able to put aside their differences or better yet, embrace their differences and come together as a cohesive whole? A community of believers who held each other up, a family who had each other's backs? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. We're going to stay in Acts, but look uh, with me at chapter 13. The setting here is the church in the city of Antioch. Antioch was a large city in what is now the country of Turkey. It was home to anywhere from 250 to 500,000 people. It is believed to have been a pretty culturally diverse city due to its size and the fact that a number of trade routes ran through it. Additionally, because of this, the church in Antioch was also diverse. So chapter 13 gives us a picture of this. Take a look at it. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. These were folks from diverse backgrounds. Barnabas was a Hellenistic Jew, Simeon is believed to have been from northern Africa. Lucius and Simeon were likely Greek converts to Judaism. Menean was likely Jewish, raised as a foster child of Herod the Great. And of course Saul, who had been a Pharisee, was a devout Jewish Christian from Tarsus, which is also in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. These fellows may have had a role in planting the church in Antioch. At that time, it was more likely for Jews to evangelize to Jews and Gentiles to evangelize to Gentiles. Given that the city was huge for its time, there were likely many languages spoken there as well. Because of this, there must have been a great need for folks in the church who had diverse backgrounds and spoke various languages for evangelization efforts. So, this is the picture of the early church still working toward unity, but not fully getting it yet. Of its many inhabitants, only about 25,000 of the people who lived in Antioch were Jews who had lived in their own little part of the city. They, sent, or they went to synagogue and interacted with other Jews, while the Messianic Jews, the Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, also met with each other in their homes. They still held on to the certain beliefs about not eating with Gentiles, not, getting, not going into their homes, not allowing them into their synagogues, not marrying them. 
the church of Antioch was very likely a collection of house churches, not a church meeting altogether like this. So the Gentiles who had come to believe in Jesus met together in their own homes, but there does not seem to have been a lot of mingling between the ethnic groups, regardless of their common belief in Jesus. The point here is that the church which was started amongst Jews was still in the process of understanding unity and letting go of long-held rules that had become prejudices toward non-Jews, even though Jesus had come to break dividing walls. And even though we have a picture of diversity and leadership here, as I mentioned earlier, even leaders struggled with the changes. But this is at least one part of the early church that seemed to be working toward unity. Not perfect, just unity. The last scripture that I want to look at is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. The beginning of this chapter finds Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He reminds them of the grace that comes from God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Even when they are living apart from God, he sent Jesus because of his deep love for them. It was through this act of grace and mercy that God lifted them up to be heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. It is by grace alone that they were saved so that no one could say that they did it on their own. So this is the context that leads into verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace. I want to read that last sentence again. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. God's plan was always to create one out of many. The interpersonal goal for the church was always unity. Unity is the picture that we see exemplified in the Trinity of God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But how can we be one if we remain divided? How can we come together with others when we hold on to our implicit and explicit biases without checking them? How can we truly come together when we hold on to contempt in our hearts? God's plan is for there to be peace among us. We are to be one. He has already destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. There's no room for divisiveness. There's no room for biases that create division and contempt and rob us of peace and unity. We come together in unity by surrendering biases and contempt. What if we were to come together in the church and make it a place of peace and unity? What would that look like? Where do we start? And I want to say that 
This is not an indictment. I think, I think we have a good thing going here. I, I, I see authentic relationships. I see people reaching their hands out to help other people. But I've, I feel like we can always do better. Martin Luther King Jr. saw the lack of unity between white and black churches in the 60s and tried to address it with white pastors. He tried to get them to speak out for unity. White churches saw the issue as social and not spiritual. Even when black churches were burning, there was a lack of solidarity. We can do better than that. Doing a quick scan on the internet finds statistics that suggest that white Christians today are in denial about racism still being an issue in this country. We can do better than this. As we saw earlier, the church at Antioch was not perfect but they were working on unity. And when Peter was falling back into his old biases, Paul was there to restore him and help him stay focused on unity. I'm not naive to think that we're ever gonna be perfect in the pursuit of unity. However, I do believe that we're called to be continually working toward unity. And I think we complement each other and have a fuller picture of what church is supposed to be when we do. We come together in unity by surrendering biases and contempt. Now it's funny, I was thinking about, I actually got a text this morning um, that talked about just you know being honest and real, um, which was great. Um, but as I was reading it, and even as I was working on this sermon, I was thinking of ways that my own thought processes get in the way of me having, of the way I see people. You know, I was thinking about, this is um, super embarrassing, but I am not any fun to drive with. No one should ever ride in a car with me because I just get really frustrated. I, I know how driving should happen and what people should do, and people don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I really, I, I'm a good driver. <laughs> but there are thoughts that I have when I'm driving that I'm not proud of about other people, assumptions that I make about uh, people being rude or self-centered or whatever. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is they could be uh, rushing to get to work because if they're late to work one more time, they're going to get in trouble. Or they could be... Um, driving erratically because they're getting to the hospital to visit a family member or any number of reasons, right? Um, but when it comes down to it, I just don't want to be inconvenienced, uh, which is stupid. Golly, it's so stupid. Um, but these are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. We, we hold on to these assumptions and beliefs about other people. We make judgments about other people. And that's not what we're called to do. And so the more I'm aware of this, the more I work on surrendering it every day when I get in the car and trying to be better. Now that's a little thing, but I think, you know, we have other, other things that we hold on to, whether it be, like I said in the beginning, whether, whether it's related to uh, politics or whether it's related to COVID or whether it's related to... Um, 
ways that we were brought up or raised to believe about racial issues. Um, I think we miss out on the strength that comes from being unified people. So, there's confession time. You can come up to me and pray for me later if you'd like. Um, but what I would like to do is just to spend uh, a couple of minutes here just kind of being quiet. Uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come. And um, yeah, is Julia? Where's Julia? Oh, yeah. Julia's going to come and play, uh, just play quietly for a minute. But I'd like for us all to take a moment um, and just ask the Holy Spirit, like, what are you saying to me about this? Where are those, those judgments, those automatic thoughts, the, the biases? Is there contempt that I have toward people or a person? So let's just kind of take a moment and um, close our eyes and, and just pray. I just ask the Holy Spirit, come. Come and reveal those places where we need to be sanctified by you. we remain quiet just if the Lord reveals anything to you just begin to, to surrender that to him just begin to surrender whatever it is that he's revealing to you and ask him to come in and sanctify that part of your heart to change the way that you feel about people to see people the way that he sees them Thank you. 
If I could have the prayer team come up to the front. And you can all stand with me.